Well, hello and welcome to Happy Times and Places, which is a positively inclined Doctor Who episode commentary podcast in which I, Toby Haydock, ask a friend to choose a story, I then commentate along and try to see which thing in each episode might be my friend's favourite. Hello there, I'm Siobhan Galichon and I've chosen The Three Doctors. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, I'm recording this in the week of Doctor Who's 59th birthday, so sort of a month or so before the anniversary, the the birthday of this story, uh, which was broadcast at the end of 1972 and the very beginning of 1973. Um, So it is 49 years old. God, that's extraordinary, isn't it? Um... And yet when I saw it, it was, you know, it was relatively old. I saw it as part of the five faces of Doctor Who. So <laughs> at that point, it was sort of, said, well, eight, eight years, eight, eight years old. But, all, I mean, I was, you know, I was six or seven. Uh, so, yeah, this was, this was 73. I mean, early 73. Yeah. So actually, it was exactly a year before I was born because uh, I was born in January 74. So, my goodness me. So this is, uh, yeah, so this is, this is a year older than I am in terms of when it was screened. Obviously, it was made, it was made prior to that. Um, but time is a strange thing. And of course, if you're not a patron and you're listening to this, um, it is irrelevant because I don't release these anywhere near to the dates that they are recorded. This is not a current affairs podcast. This is just me watching Doctor Who. However, I, I've, I've, I felt it worth noting that there was something in the air that, that you know, I hadn't just done this uh, anniversary story, although I'm sure Stephen Moffat in one of his editorials at DWM pointed out that it's not really an anniversary story because it, it's, you know, it's nowhere near November 19. 19- 73 which would have made it an anniversary story it's the beginning of the 10th season as opposed to the 10th birthday party which is fair enough but i think i think our hive mind has it down as the it's the 10th anniversary story it's the first time you get three doctor you, you know all, all of the doctors together uh, and the 10th season is the 10th anniversary of the show and it, it you know it enters 1973 which is the the show's 10th year um and as I've discussed earlier, this is a story that I've gone up and down with. So let us see. I hope you're enjoying it. I'm very much enjoying it this time around. Uh, and, and I did enjoy it last time I saw it as well. So it's, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, but this this process of being positive does help me to, you know, see the virtues in uh, in everything. It's a good, I suppose it's a a tonic for life isn't it really and I've always been sort of glass half empty or be pessimistic because then you're not disappointed but actually and it sounds crass I'm so sorry and it's not very British to say it but if you try and be positive and you try to look for the best in things being positive is harder I mean I'm a freelance performer uh writer um present you know I, I I I'm freelancing in the arts I have to solicit for work all of the time I'm not going to tell you how many things I've been turned down for today and the manner in which I was turned down for one of them. Positivity does not come easily to me. Uh, It is not 
generally what goes on inside my head, despite what comes out of my mouth in these podcasts. But what comes out of my mouth is an attempt to be a tonic to the st- the stiff drink that is uh, 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 you know ne- ne- negotiating much of life. Um, so you know, I'm no goody two shoes. That's all I'm saying. This isn't cloying sentimentality. This is an attempt not to be that guy. Not to be the guy, you know, when you, somebody on, you see somebody on Facebook and somebody will go, I like that thing. And they go, um, I don't like that thing. Or, you know, I met that person from that thing. Never heard of them. You know, you go, do you know what? I just not say anything. So as this is a podcast where I'm not allowed to not say anything, this is why, you know, mission restatement, I try to accentuate the positive because it is a grim world out there, but why can't you? Don't, why come to me for more of that? Um, so, uh, with that in mind, let us watch from the beginning. I'm watching on BritBox. It is available on the season nine Doctor Who Blu-ray set, which I have, and on um, DVD. I think there's a special edition as well. I have both both of those. <laughs> I've got the Target novel. I don't have the VHS anymore. I, I, I did actually get rid of my VHSs, but I sent them to a good home. It was just at the time that charity shops were stopping accepting VHSs. Not that I really wanted to take them to a charity shop anyway, but I thought at least there somebody would be getting something out of it. But I put a thing on Facebook saying, does anybody have any kids who are into Doctor Who might like to visit the old stuff? And this guy um, said, yeah, yeah. So he came along and I had two big IKEA bags maybe even three, full of Doctor Who VHSs that went to a lad. I hope he liked them. Uh, but he's now probably <laughs> chucked them out and is uh, uh, maybe right now going to fire up episode three of The Three Doctors, which I'm going to watch from the beginning in three, two, one. Well, I hope that I've edited that <laughs> deftly enough. Uh, to uh, make it not apparent that decades have passed since I said 321 now and that title sequence playing through the correct speaker at the correct speed. I mean, I've had to come in and out, out of apps um, that the internet's playing up because it's raining. I mean, if I, I mean, I, I, I take the Mickey out of Omega because, uh, you know, he's, you know, he's created this world through sheer force of his will and he's made place with a terrible chair panto scenery and a, and a, and a quarry background um, but uh, you know we, we, we are reliant on a technology that uh, when it rains uh, none of the things seeing as we made all of our <laughs> all of our technology reliant even my washing machine can be turned on via the internet I actually do it manually because I d- don't know I haven't done that bit um, but ev- you know everything is reliant on the internet and yet if it rains my internet doesn't doesn't work. I mean, I laughed at the seeds of death, didn't I? I've got oh yeah. Uh, fancy having a, an invasion tool that is is scuppered by rain. Uh, well, we've we've become reliant on a technology in this country. I live in Manchester, and it's like yeah, no, it can do anything. Uh, put all your eggs in the internet basket. Uh, it's a basket that, by the way, the handle breaks and it gets soaked if it's raining. Here we have uh, Omega played by the majestic Stephen Thorne. I love the design Omega. I think the mask is marvellous. I think uh, Stephen Thorne's voice is incredible. 
Uh, and I like the fact that Doctor Who is going, well, it's the it's the 10th anniversary story, or is it? Um, let's, let's look at the genesis of the Time Lords. I think, you know, that's a big enough occasion to warrant the three Doctors coming through. So there's a sense of occasion about this. Um, and, you know, at least they make his entrance high up on some, you know, raised stairs. That's quite th- theatrical. I mean, I, I, th- I think it is a bit of a shame that the... The, the sets are, I think, amongst the weakest in the the show's history. Um, I mean, look at this. This is uh, this is this is grim stuff. It's bad, bad CSO, uh, and um, sort of a mixture of uh, yeah, yeah, cling film, bubble wrap, and gaudy paint. Uh, I've got a. a a cardigan not unlike Dr. Tyler's, I've just noticed. It's it's my new cardigan. Yes, I'm I'm of an age now where I get a new cardigan. Um uh but um uh, which which actually fits me quite snugly. I'm rather fond of it, but uh, I I wasn't I wasn't Dr. Tyler cosplaying, although I probably could because I've got uh, I've got jackets and shirts not unlike those as well. Uh he's got a stronger moustache than I though. Uh, although I think that that might well be a, a fake moustache. That Rex is sporting there. Um, St- Stephen Thorne was a marvellous uh, radio actor, um, but blessed with great height as well. So if you if you want somebody godlike for Doctor Who, um, he's a, he's an excellent choice. Uh, look, I love that cloak. I think that mask is extraordinary. The big gloves are great, um, uh, and you know the idea of the the person that created time travel for the Time Lords, um, which begs the question, what were they called before that? I remember the Tony Hawk's gag. Uh, you know, what was Captain Hook called before he lost his hand? Uh, otherwise, that's nominative determinism uh, with quite tragic consequences. Um, and I, ha- I had a big argument with my... I mean, I say a big argument. Um, he was a bit cutting and patronizing my son <laughs> who i think at this point was like 12 uh uh and you know doesn't know how to make a cup of coffee uh going and hasn't done classical greek uh for uh, at school which i have um uh it's, it's omega it's omega it's not, it's not it's it's omega um but uh, i think the way that things happen like uh, apple ties became apple tizer uh, Wendy Richard, I think, actually put an S on the end of a name and then crossed it out on her autobiography, uh, Wendy Richards, because uh, she's Wendy Richard. Um, uh, I suspect, uh, like Stephen Hawking's, uh, Omega will become known as Amiga because uh, more people mispronounce it than don't. Um, now I'm probably going to get letters going, uh, actually, Toby, it should be Omega. But when we did, when I did Greek, it was definitely Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, Epsilon, Z, Muda, Omega. Uh, it was not Amiga. Um, don't, don't write in. I I don't care. <laughs> uh, I like. Uh, I I I'm sorry. I was chatting through uh, a great line. A hero. I should have been a god. Uh, which speaks to Omega's problem. He's um. He's a bit sort of Doctor Morbius, isn't he, or whatever? You know, he's he's a bit he's a bit Prospero. Um, uh, you know, he's he's uh, you know he's created all of this. Uh, world, you know, uh, monsters and fairies alike, uh, 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 you know, th- through his magic, in his case, through the f- th- through the amplification of his mind. 
And of course, that's going to, I think that's going to give you ego problems. I, I know people who've had extended run on television serials, series who've, who've suddenly got a bit cocky. So I think if I, I think if I could make a planet and summon a chair at will, I, I, you know, I could see why you might get, uh, get, 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 get a little bit above your station, uh, especially if any station in the vicinity has been made by your own force of will. Uh, <laughs> Pertwee has a natural authority, doesn't he? Um, and he can sit in a chair. Uh, that's quite... I quite like that shot that Len Lenny Main has gone round the back of uh, the the Omega's um, pink pink teleglobe um, and, and, and filmed him through it, which is very nice. Saves you having to project anything onto it. Uh, but give, makes for an interesting shot. Mm. Wonderful landing acting uh, by Troughton, Courtney and Levine, who you all know will have been absolutely game for jumping in the air and landing at the same time. <laughs> I love the way Troughton says, I think you should prepare yourself for a bit of a shock. That slightly, like he's sort of talking to a child, slightly, slightly patronising. I don't know how the scanner can get a picture of the TARDIS, um, but it's fine. We can we can rationalise that if we like, any way that we like. Um, <laughs> look at look at Benton looking a bit resigned to it all. Um, so uh, yeah, this is this is the sort of continuation of my 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 favourite bit from uh, for, for, from episode two, which is the Benton Troughton. Uh, Double act. <laughs> he's wonderful, Trout, isn't he? So you know, his eyes are always darting and going, and he's, you know, he's furtive and he's interested and he's he's calculating and he's working stuff out. Uh, and but I over the weekend I watched some Doctor Who for pleasure. I don't always do it for to to bestow my opinions upon you out of the goodness of my heart. I'm so sorry. Why are you listening to this? Um, but I, I watched The Web of Fear because I can and because it's wonderful. Um, and it's and it's amazing how... Well, I know, I mean, partially history is unkind to The Web of Fear and its depiction of the Brigadier or, or, or history has been unkind to The Web of Fear because Colonel Lethbridge Stewart is, is there to partially be set up as a, a you know, is, is this guy the bad guy? I mean, it's not solely him because, you know, Har Harold Chorley... Um, you know the the snivelling journalist uh, is is you know it's also a major suspect as is cowardly driver Evans and you know Staff Sergeant Arnold does give the odd clue every now and again you know there's, there's a bit where uh, uh, they say was the doctor killed by the Yeti and he goes no and they go how do you know and he goes well, it's just a hunch and that's in episode two I think um, but the brig Colonel Lethbridge Stewart when the doctor says I've got this police I've got this spaceship that travels through time and space. He goes, fine. I <laughs> try slaps his head. And a lot of actors wouldn't get away with that. Um, <laughs> um, but but the, oh, look at I love that shot uh, of the of of the Kijel guard that's slightly waiting for its cue, but that's okay. Um, uh, but the yeah, the, the 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 Colonel Lethbridge Stewart is is brave. He's tough. He's pragmatic, but. He's very, very open-minded, uh, and he becomes blimpier. You know, um, that's because 
probably because everybody realized that Nicholas Courtney was very dryly funny and very good at deadpan comedy. And why not use what your actors do? And, you know, that's fine. That's fine. But I, I utterly sympathize with anybody who prefers their brigadier to be a tough soldier. I, lo- I, I actually like this double act as well. as Mr. Ollis, the sort of taciturn game warden who, 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 who you know, for whom it's all, this is all a bit avant-garde. <laughs> And as I say, Laurie is actually quite an ebullient fellow, um, and uh, you know, a bit of a, 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 a sort of cheery Welsh, uh, you know, song and dance man. Uh, but but he's he's rather he's I think he's rather lovely as this sort of um, uh, you know fairly fairly straightforward, uh, char- you know, prosaic character. I love that image of uh, of, of Troughton and Benton being. Uh, escorted by the gel guards which is of course on the back cover of the target book which has omega with fire coming from his fingers which uh, uh, i know in in the haydoke household was considered to be a literal thing like we we talked of omega having fire coming through his fingers um and and didn't realize it was actually met it was metaphorical you know it was there as a striking image uh yeah i do like that shot of the brigadier and uh, and mr ollis and i like the does he say you will consider yourself under my command i like that it's that kind of dad's army you know sort of british pluck thing of going we've got we've got what is he a, a game warden and, and a senior officer just go well it's just us i think that the and the and the perspective shot or whatever it is of those doors those giant doors uh in the uh, in the in the wall of the mountain uh, is excellent and i love that shot of the two gel guards it's unfortunately one of them skirts ridden up a little bit and you can see it's a sort of man walking along uh, they're not the greatest and yet they have occasion where they look good they're actually a good visual um but um <laughs> then they start moving but i like i love that image of Troughton and and benton going into the into the cave i of them being flanked by the gel guards um uh, I, I, I love uh, the trap and stamping on Benton's foot. I mean, you can see, you can see it on occasion where Jamie was supposed to be with Trout, and it's a it's a very similar relationship. Um, but I I love that that you know John Levine's about, and they go, okay, well give it, give it John, let him do it. Um, and yes, <laughs> I love Troughton's sort of wounded dignity that he has as well because he looks like this sort of slightly Chaplin-esque uh, ch- trampy figure but he, he you know he could try and he, he doesn't have what per- Pertwee has you know Pertwee looks regal and magnificent in a, a you know in a fancy dress costume um, where, whereas, whereas Troughton looks you know looks slightly battered uh, and, and like he's you know fallen out of a tumble dryer uh, so Pertwee has this innate authority, whereas whereas Troughton Trout, Trout, has this sort of f- faked authority, if you like, to try. But but of course it's very clever because the the layers are is is that fake is a fake upon another fake of the sort of childish thing that masks you know a whirring intelligence, uh, which is why I really you know warmed Troughton so much because there are so many layers. Omega looks great on camera and they shoot him quite well. Um, but look, that set, the, the sort of paint splatter on the on the bit above the, 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 the stairs, the entranceway is, um, I mean, it's the bare minimum, really. This stuff's all great. Charging about a quarry with a double-barreled shotgun. Uh, 
we'll, we'll take them by storm, says the brigadier. Me and you. But that's Doctor Who, isn't it? You know, t- t- two, two men, probably with, you know, two dozen shots between them, will storm the castle of the alien intelligence in the same way that, you know, a handful of BBC employees and uh, a, a very small cast will create uh, a netherworld created from the mind of one of the most sophisticated beings in the universe uh, on a bu- bu- on a on a budget of tuppence halfpenny and you know so even where it doesn't quite I only get cross with doctor who if it's lazy um I never get cross with doctor who if it if it reaches for the stars and and gets gets us gets as far as your bedroom ceiling do you know what I mean at least it's at least it's you know its fingertips are at full stretch uh, I, I feel some of the design of this is a little bit lazy um, or maybe it's that Roger Limington wasn't the right fit because as I say I, li- I like his work on, on Carnival of Monsters but that is a bit more kooky um, um, I like Joe's costume in this it's all Nice and blue, which is suggested probably yellow CSO, isn't it? Because she'd have disappeared, as with Troughton's shirt. Um, so Bob Baker and Dave Martin, who wrote this, um, always did seem to write, you know, with a filmic imagination. Now, it's up to us to decide whether that is, you know, not being hampered by the limitations of television production slash reality or whether actually better writers would would go, well, no, what's achievable with the technology that we have? What can the BBC do? Which I think people like, you know, Robert Holmes was very good at going, right, what can we do? Uh, oh, he says Omega. Oh, well, John, Lev- John Levine, you'll get on with, with my Oscar. Uh, <laughs> um, uh uh, but Terence Dix, who was Bob and Dave's script editors, you know, said they were in the, the A League. And he said Malcolm Hulk was in the B League. Um, uh, so, you know, he re- he really warmed to, to, to Bob and Dave and, and, you know, obviously loved their imagination. But um, a, a lot of their stories are ones that seem on occasion to be beyond the production team, shall we say. I suppose it, it 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 depends what your what you think Doctor Who should be doing, uh, and and I suppose you know I'm talking myself out of this. I I don't think Doctor Who should be playing it safe. Why the hell? Well, you know, you're Doctor Who. Uh, don't do what everything else tries to do, but but by the same token, also be a you know be a little bit be a little bit cautious so that you don't lose the audience. But it didn't lose the audience, did it? Uh, and uh, yeah, when I was young, this was. This was hugely, uh, you know, hugely exciting and imaginative and, and beguiling. There's a lot of talking in this cell, though, isn't there? Um, oh, do they do contact now? I like this. Uh, this, yeah, that's great. Uh, and there's something that has um, endured, isn't it? Um, and I, 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 you know, there is something you, there is, you can get a metaphor out of this idea of, you know, if you think hard enough, you can. You can sort of create your own world. My my other half is very like that. About I mean, she doesn't think you can make a door in an alien space wall. And, and I love the fact it's I mean, it's literally just a door. <laughs> but I kind I kind of like that. 
don't like that CSO. It is yellow CSO, isn't it? Um, I, and I quite like the beep, boop, 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 boop music as well. It, 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 it seems to me to, to fit the production, this, this sort of, you know, fairy tale Netherland uh, atmosphere. Um, and it's quite memorable on the ear. Um, but uh, it's it's got a bit repetitive now, hasn't it? Because we've we've kind of already had this sort of thing when Doctor Tyler made a break for it last week. Um, but I suppose now we're with a Omega. There's there's not a whacking great amount of plot left, really. He wants to uh, he wants to get into our universe, and they don't want to let him. I love that. That's very you know. Trouton sticks his head around the corner. Pertwee sticks his head slightly higher. Uh, and they're a great contrast because of their different sizes as well. And, and just the different body language, the way that they, they hold each other. You know, Trouton is sort of bent and scamp creeps around, scampers around. Whereas, whereas Pertwee is, you know, strides into danger with all his dignity. Uh. <laughs> now, in the book, this is a double-headed coin. Uh, but... Uh, I don't think that's clear in the TV version, is it? Um, Pertwee just loses the loses the coin toss, but I don't think it's ever said that's a double-headed coin. Although him saying what would be the point suggests it's always a fix. Um, but I like the idea of a double-headed coin. I don't know why as a kid. We used to do heads and tails and things like that all the time. And the idea that you had a thing that was a double-headed coin was like a just a, a slight twist on the everyday. And that was always sort of slightly quite exciting because you could get an angle on that because you're a kid. Um, the lighting in here is quite nice. Brilliant mask for Omega. Um, I wonder if... Now... Um, and I, I, I know Stephen Thorne, who I who I met a few times and, and, and uh, very much enjoyed the company of. He was a nice, nice man. Um, felt that... And I think he gets a bit of stick that, that his performances are a bit shouty. Um, I, I, I think I think Omega is on the edge of sanity, and he is all powerful. And um, I kind of think it works, especially in the next episode when he sort of loses temper and the camera shakes. But we'll we'll talk about that. But you know, he he hasn't had anybody to talk to. Uh, uh, and in fact, funny, I've, didn't I say Laurie, uh, Laurie Webb makes sure he sings to himself when he had, doesn't see anybody all day because uh, he's. 98 and lives on his own um uh so as not to lose his voice so maybe that's what omega's been doing because he hasn't got anybody to talk to he's been doing shakespearean acting um, uh so but but it, it it is it is a performance that's gone up to 11 but i i think you can kind of and he has got a great voice and it is a brilliant costume um so i forgive steve thought especially as he as he always rather berated himself for it. That's a great shot. I love everybody charging out of here. I love this gang. There's a few pictures of, you know, these guys escaping the explosions and stuff. And I like there's, you know, there's two soldiers, uh, you know, the, the gamekeeper guy, Joe in her costume, and the scientist in his, you know, Tweedy scientist costume. I, I, I like that sort of uh, incongruous um, gang. Uh, this, 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 this bevy of... Um, sort of un, un, unlike unusual heroes as it were um, I think I just like all the characters I think they're all 
Well, gosh, I've met all of those. There's five people on screen and I've met them all. My seven-year-old self in the playground would have been delighted. And I've even met, who are the gel guards? There's Ricky Newby and, uh, oh, I remember that shot of Joe with the explosion is on the Doc 2 40th anniversary uh, uh, compilation that they did at the start of the um, the VHSs to the, to the orbital music, that shot of Joe. Uh, anyway, now, oddly, I remember when I read the book of this after... I'd seen the TV series. I didn't remember this bit at all. And so then when I got it on video, uh, this was all new to me. And it's, a, you know, it's a film sequence and it's it's nicely done. And of course, it looks magnificent because it's on film. And that's Alan Chun's there as the, uh, as the you know, phantom beast from Omega's mind or whatever. Um, but I, I had no memory at all of it from when I watched it as a kid, which is extraordinary. Because I remembered everything else, you know, I remembered that the, the, the Time Lord sitting down had a beard. I remember, you know, William Hartnell in his in his pyramidy thing and all of that. Yeah, so, and it's, and, and, oh, isn't it a shame? I mean, it's, I think it's quite nice that Hartnell's in black and white, although I think if you've invented time travel, I think you could have invented colour television. But maybe it's an artistic choice. Um, but I, it's actually quite nice seeing Hartnell in black and white. But it is weird, too, seeing him in colour, because we don't we don't have colour William Hartnell in Doctor Who at all. Um, I know stuff's been recolorized now that looks amazing. There's some stuff online that's amazing. But, you know, just having Hartnell in colour is quite odd. I just wish we had a close-up. Um, but yeah, I didn't remember this at all. I mean, it's quite simply done. That's quite that's an effective mask. There's no set required there at all. Just a bit of a you know, just a bit of a scrap on an on an ealing stage. Um, to uh, but it is it's this kind of it's, yeah, and this is kind of padding for for a story that is a that is a you know a, a huge celebration. It's it's kind of like we've we've you know we've yeah we've got the situation, but um, I'm not necessarily sure it sustains itself. That's not a complaint. There's loads of Doctor Who like that. Um, and uh, I've got to keep talking because uh, much as I pressed the button to stop it skipping the closing credits, uh, thanks uh, BritBox, I pressed the button a hundred times then and it jumped anyway. So now I'm furious because I like reading the credits and commentating along to them. And if you're watching along, I've now, I've now skipped past them. Even Bernard is annoyed. He's looking at me now making noises. He's making noises because... Uh, he's not getting any attention from me and I've been talking about Doctor Who for half an hour. But uh, I like to think I'm going to I'm gonna impose my will like Omega upon him and go, no, no, he's annoyed about the credits. Up you get, Bern. Up, up. Uh, he's doing that. He do, has a slight habit of sort of standing at the sofa, kind of going, I, I want to either get on you or jump up or do something, but I'm not going to actually do it. So then I say, you've, you've got to do it. And he goes, well, no, I'm going to stand here a bit gormlessly instead. And I don't know what that is. Anyway, I love you, Bernard. He's gone to his bed now. And, and now he's making me feel guilty because I feel like I've ignored him, even though I was beckoning him to me. Anyway, uh, sorry you didn't get the... Well, I mean, you can't really hear what's going on anyway. But the music did cut out because of this, uh, you know, presaging the collapse of modern civilization. Um, we are encouraged uh, not to watch the credits for things anymore. And it makes me very, very sad. Um, but I like the fact that the credits credit the doctors first. I remember when Doctor Who magazine ran the episode guide for the two Doctors uh, and it said, you know, the Doctor, Colin Baker, Perry, Nicola Bryant, the Doctor, Patrick Troughton. I was like, I do hope that Patrick Troughton, because I'd forgotten, I had, you know, there was no videos in those days. I'd seen the story. Um, 
I hope Patrick Troughton was credited above the companion. He's the doctor, and I was I was prepared to be all angry, but no, Patrick Troughton is get second billing in uh, in the two doctors as is right. I like the fact that the doctors are all credited, you know, before because you know sometimes um, in terms of uh, um, you know contractually and all of that sort of things, you know, series regulars get billed before uh, everybody, even if it's former series regulars or whatever but i like the doctor who tradition of going no 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 if you're the doctor you get credited first or now if you're getting a uh, uh, an intro at the end of, you know and introducing so and so i thought they did the credits very well on the power of the doctor actually because they had uh, they had all sorts of little different things that they had to wrangle and i think they got them all right but i'm sure i'll talk about that when i wang on through the credits of that when somebody chooses the power of the doctor for um, happy times and places year 10 or whatever <laughs> no surely not um so yes, so I mean, it's not perfect, is it? The three doctors and there was a there was a bit of padding there, but I think it gets by on well, you have the sense of occasion, you know, time lords, birth of the time lords, and that's quite a that's quite a I think that's quite a big moment of Omega revealing that and you know us revealing who he is, um, and I think you know I think that the seismic nature of that sort of propels you through you know some of the standing around talking and then the uh, you know standing around fighting in the pre-film sequence uh, and the sheer charm of that bevy of characters the 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 juxtaposition of the the, the mundane and the you know spectacular <laughs> that door um and and the lovely banter between Troughton and Pertwee which is a winner um, and the regulars all being on form. I, I like Cromer. I don't know why. I think I was probably conditioned to like Cromer because it was spoken of very fondly in Doctor Who magazine. As though, you know, it's that brilliant joke where the brigadier thinks it's Cromer. Um, and of course, that's it, it's, it's so good that they chose Cromer because we can say, well, uh, yeah, you know, you, you, you watch a scene uh, in Omega's Palace and you can go, well, I'm pretty sure that's Cromer key. Um, <laughs> so it's one of those little happy accidents. But um, and I quite like the joke of the, you know, of the blimpish military guy um, denying, you know, what is real because he can't accept it. Were it not for the fact that, well, if... I then think about it for 10 seconds and go, but he's, I mean, he's seen everything. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's seen invasion by, you know, sp spaghetti monsters. He's seen the devil manifest itself in a, in a village church. Uh, you know, he's seen, uh, he's seen a Chinese dragon uh, appear before an American ambassador. He's seen, you know, he found, he's seen an auton in a safe, uh, you know, all of that. And now he's going, but, this this building can't have moved it out. So I mean, it, and also, is it any less likely? Is it is it any easier to move a building, to dematerialize a building and transport it to Chroma than it is to dematerialize a building and transform it into a, a, another universe, another planet, or whatever? Surely it's the dematerialization and rematerialization that's the issue, not the geographical location. <laughs> I have conjured you out of nowhere, uh, a castle. A castle? No, no. If it, I'm pretty sure it's a bungalow. No, no. It's it's the conjuring that's the. I, I know. I'd I'd accept a two up, two down. But a castle? That's beyond the realms of my imagination. Um, but still, uh, it's jolly. It 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 has it zips along and it is charming. Um, it, yeah. Even though there's there's padding and some atrocious design. Um, uh, it's it it yeah. It's it's sheer charm that carries it through but I, I think my favorite thing about it 
is um, o- Omega, the look of Omega. I, I like Stephen Thorne's performance too, but I, I, I just think the, 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 and and the idea that he's from the birth of the Time Lords. I, you know, now you can say that they've done multi-doctor stories, you know, to death a bit, uh, and they do sort of Time Lord mythology stuff you know has 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 happened a lot of times now but at this point in the show's history you know we've seen the time lords on gallifrey we, we don't even know it's called gallifrey at the moment uh in what the war games and uh colony in space we've had the bowler hatted guy of course in uh, terror of the autons but he was you know he was disguising his chameleon circuit to disguise him as a city gent but the yeah the time lords themselves uh and and now we're back on gallifrey with the you know hammy hq um, but then this other guy comes in and he looks magnificent and he's tall and he's got this booming voice and he's the guy that's captured the Doctor. He's the guy that's caused the Time Lords to be involved. He's the guy that's meant we need not one but two but three Doctors. Uh, well, it'd be a bit annoying if he was just, you know, uh, Spacey Magoo from, you know, the planet Penge or whatever. He is Omega, the founder of the solar engineer who you know, kicked the Time Lords into their lofty position. And that, to me, seems to be uh, an appropriate level of threat for this Three Doctors story. It's an attempt to give some scope to the series and to, and to you, know, g- g- you know, give it a little nod without doing anything, you know, that, 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 that makes people go, do I have to have watched this before? Because, of course, you don't, because we don't know any of this. This is all this is all new to everybody. So it's, you know, it's mythology, but without being, you know, tied up in existing mythology or whatever, apart from that, well, the Doctor's a Time Lord. But that's, you know, that's, that's easily digestible. And I think it's a great costume. I think it's a great look. Uh, so, yes, Omega, you know, who Omega is, what Omega represents in the story, but also that beautiful, beautiful design. What does Chivon Galichon like from episode three? I think we could tell Chivon and I are perhaps coming at this from slightly different angles, which is absolutely fine. So I ex- I expect not to be successful, um, but who, who knows? We might find a point of singularity. Part three. This is an odd one. But the more I think about it, the more right it seems. It's Omega's palace, of all things. I know in Terence's novel it was a glorious thing. Um, and in this it's just a pair of doors leaning up against um, a cliff wall. But it's the inside I like. Again, it's a memory thing, I'm guessing. A nostalgia thing? I don't know. From when I first watched this, and that was, like I say, on tr- transmission, original transmission. But there's something about it. it, it it's magical. It, it almost is the fairy tale place. And Dudley Simpson's music for that, the, the corridor music, if you like, the twinkly music, it just makes the whole thing seem right. And again, cosy. Um, that, that's a word you could just describe the three doctors as cosy. Um, yeah, so odd one, but there we go. It, it, it's Omega's Palace, especially the corridors and the music. Ah, well, I mean, I quite like the music, but I actually am 
there's part of me that's slightly pleased that the thing that I sort of said was not very good is the thing that Siobhan has chosen because Siobhan was a wee bairn when this was on, so remembers it at the time. So it was good enough to capture a kid. Uh, and therefore, whatever my adult sensibilities are about uh, the set design uh, and the filming within Omega's Palace, uh, doesn't matter because uh, it's it, it did its job at the time that it was broadcast. Uh, yeah, as I say, I I, I I will never be its greatest fan uh, fan of a lot a lot of the choices that take place in the in the studio work in Omega's Palace, and yet for somebody else, it's the best thing about the episode, and isn't that rather glorious because I can never pretend that a, some of the things that I choose in this are objective and I think anybody that sort of loftily declares uh, you, you know their own stylistic preferences to be objectively better now I think you can sometimes say you know technical achievements are you know objectively better um, and you can you know you can perhaps break a script down and go you know just looking at that practice but actually that doesn't matter because you could have the best structured script in the world but it it could still not it could still not d dance in the way that something a bit more scattershot and uh last minute or compromised or whatever because doctor who is not something we c can often assess objectively because of when we're first introduced stor stories are influenced i think by the way by, by when we're first introduced to them by where we are at the time that we're watching them by where we were at the time when we were watching them but why where we are in our lives now by what doctor who is doing right now and what doctor who is doing there. so many different stimuli uh so many different you know twists of the of the of the kaleidoscope or the the, the viewfinder will skew how we you know we refract the images and interpret them and and how they hit us emotionally and that's also going to depend on who we are and when and where we're from and what we've been through and that's why doc 2 is a strange sort of catalog of our lives because you know i don't just watch doctor who doctor who has been with me all of my life and uh and, and and I remember where and when I was that I was introduced to certain certain things. I mean, I, I, and I broke off, didn't I, when I was talking about the fire in the fingers? It was years later that I discovered, and I I didn't discover it. I read in a magazine. I think it must have been in a DWM um, that those hands of Omegas on the cover are actually hands, you know, from a from a comic strip that have been sort of imported and used uh, for for the cover of the book because why waste a good pair of hands when you've got a good pair of hands and so the fiery fingers metaphor um is is actually sort of there for a sort of practical shortcut as well but it is a lovely metaphor but that practical but i love the fact that 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 misconception we had in our home that one of one was that the zygons can sting people because there's that picture of the the the, the, the photo of the the zygon sort of reaching out and tom baker clutching his head it was like, oh yeah they sting you and was there a thing called sting of the zygons but we had a thing yeah but but i thought it was a thing you know if, when i watched terror of the zygons you know the zygons would just be touching people and they'd be getting stung you know a bit like the triffids or something like that you know because uh, that was around at the time that i was growing up um 
And in the same way, the Omega had fiery fingers. So I imagine this guy that, you know, that's a great, that's a that's a, what you imagine a Doctor Who monster would do. And especially one that would get together the three Doctors, fiery fingers. But no, it was, it was on the cover just as a, just as a sort of metaphorical representation of power. But it was also on the cover because it was a, a practical shortcut as a result of the artist already having that thing to hand uh, and placing it there so it's lovely that there's so many different layers to that thing that was a misapprehension in the first place but is also part and parcel of my assimilation and experience of the story and I'm sure we've all got those things that are unique to us so our perceptions of every story are unique to us uh, because because of uh, you know how we come to talk to but they're but it's, it's you know it's more profound than because all of our perceptions of everything are unique to us but with Doctor Who we also have this commonality of we all know it we all watch it we know all know what we're talking about when we say Sergeant Benton and Mr Ollis and all of that sort of thing so um we all basically what I'm saying is we all create a world uh through our own perception and and I think you'll find that reflects the themes of the three doctors rather well and so I shall depart with a flourish, with a spring in my step, and fire coming out my fingers. Well, thank you ever so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydoke, and my special guest, Siobhan Galichon, who can be found on Twitter at S-I-O Galichon. And I'm grateful to Siobhan and to the patrons who make this podcast possible, and they include Stephen Moffat, Jeff Sear, Philip Marsh, PDT, Tom Hunter Watts, Ian Dean, Chris Phone, Paul Loveday, David Cartin, Steve Watson, Matt Sawyer, Paul Lindblad, David Shepherdson, Jess Jerkovic, Andrew Hodson, Kevin Murdoch, Richard Baker, Andy Larson, Tom Hunter Watts, Christopher Meredith, Luke Harrington, Joanna Abbott, Paul Carrington, Neil Allen, Andy Case, Jeff Sear. I've said Jeff Sear twice, actually, but it's because I haven't said him enough in the past because he dropped off the list. Uh, Nick Tedston, Neil Tate, Richard Straw, and Rob Leonard. The music is by Dave Gates. The artwork by Dylan Patterson. If you would like your name read out on the credits, well, that is one of the perks of being a patron, which you can become at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke, where for as little as £3 a month, uh, you can get exclusive releases, bonus material, and you get everything much, much earlier. There are AMAs. There's your own podcast called Far Too Much Information, which is never released to the outside world. All that sort of stuff. £3 a month uh, is the lowest tier. There are higher tiers, which have other little things that lure you up the ladder. But most things are available at the base rate because times are tough and also because I feels really odd expecting people to pay for me talking but some people seem to like to do that and it enables me I hope to do it to a professional standard and uh, to spend proper time on doing it well if that's what this is. Uh, you could also go and score these five stars on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, wherever you get your podcasts from. A few lines of review 
and five stars. It's the five stars that really tickle the algorithms and mean that other people are more likely to spot this. They're more likely to listen to it. And the more they listen to it, uh, the more traction it gets. And it's just helpful, helpful, helpful. And if you like it, hopefully you think that other like-minded people will like it too. So please do spread the word. Um, I'm, I'm flattered by the numbers uh, that I'm getting, but we stagnated just a little bit uh, in uh, in the last month or so. So I'm trying to give it a bit of welly. So tell your friends, tweet, Facebook, go on forums and say how much you like these. But particularly, yes, give them five stars. Oh, subscribe. That's what I've heard other people say. Like and subscribe. I've never asked anyone to subscribe. I don't even know where to look to see if anyone is. But subscribe and five star and uh leave nice lines of review you can also if you don't want to become a patron and sign up for the monthly thing go to ko-fi.com forward slash toby haydoke where you can drop me a metaphorical cup of coffee whenever you like talking of social media these podcasts have their own feed at haydoke podcasts i'm at toby haydoke and i also have a facebook page uh i'm, I'm sort of migrating uh, there's there's one that's Toby Haydock comedian. That's my that's where all the work stuff's going to be, and I'm going to cut back on the personal thing because I said yes to everybody, and now I've got you know five thousand friends, uh, many of whom I've never met. So if it's my work you're interested in, uh, it's the Toby Haydock comedian page, and that's where all the all the sort of professional stuff and all the you know stuff that probably interests you, and you know then then I can have you know two different uh, if you don't know me that is if you know me, but if you don't know me, but yeah yeah. Do you, you know what I mean? I think you know what you mean. I, I don't really know what I mean, but I've got two pages now and um, I've sort of got the same people on both and I need to... But I don't like the idea of deleting anybody from my from my personal page, but I've got too many friends. Now, that, I'm not boasting because they're not actual friends, but in this day and age, it's nice to sort of communicate with people, isn't it, if you've got um, shared interests, etc. Et but... Um, uh, but I can still do that because it's still me on the page. I don't have people. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you can't mem people if you haven't actually got any. So, yeah, Facebook, Toby Edok Comedian page and the social media and, and all of those outlets. If you just say a few nice things about these, it uh, it will will give their Internet presence a bit of welly. So there we have it. Uh, so yes, that's um, a number of jobs I've been turned out for today. <laughs> oh, the humanity. Uh, so at least I've got this to do, eh? Oh, I mean, I'm busy. I've got things I need to be doing. Um, but um, I do I do sort of relish those occasions where uh, I don't have to do everything. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm nearly 50. It would it would be nice on occasion to um, to do work that I haven't you know sort of had to throw several fields worth of mud at the wall in the hope that a teaspoon of it sticks for me to grip onto. Um, but there we go. That's the nature of being a freelancer. Um, but it's sometimes a bit. Oh, sometimes a bit galling there's a, there was it was the way it was the way that one of these was phrased today that um that that stuck in my craw a little bit 
um because for all the oh mwah, darling everybody's lovely it's a it's a ruthless old business this one and uh you know uh you are you know air kisses can turn to poison darts without a second's thought <laughs> um not that anyone's being cruel or nasty it's just it's a it's a very pragmatic business um which is uh unfortunate if you're one of the things people want to be pragmatic about uh but i'm sure you know i've probably uh, you know uh on 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 occasion you know made a decision that's had a uh, an impact on well i know i've you know i've cast things i mean i've never i've never actually had to turn anyone down for casting it's just that i've maybe because because i've been lucky because it's a buyer's market my goodness so when when doing the radio plays you know you tended to offer to the to the person you you know you really wanted and you know i'd probably have four or five choices for certain parts and you know you go to one and they usually say yes and you go okay great um but i know that you know two three four five might have then heard the play and gone oh did he not think of me for this well yeah i did but second third and fourth so you know it's what we sign up for um and uh but there was, there was something oh yeah and then something else has happened yeah you sometimes sometimes you're turned down and sometimes you're just ignored <laughs> which is worse to be told to sod off or to not even register it's a, it's an odd career for somebody that's mistakenly decided to spend their life looking for approve the approval of others <laughs> uh uh it's yeah it's a it's a it's a, it's an odd career choice for 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 people with um you know f fragile egos who don't like rejection <laughs> to take a job that is largely people saying no to you or even i mean even this you know um you know i, I ask for five star reviews but you know and then if you get one that's less than that you know it does it sort of takes a chunk out of your heart and you go well who's bothered to go I mean, why bother to? I mean, there's a lovely comic called Dominic Woodward who does a does a routine about you know um, newspaper polls saying you know do you, do you think they should bring back capital punishment? You know, um, uh, uh, fifty four percent said yes, um, thirty percent said no, and then you know the rest said don't know. <laughs> Dominic's joke, which is brilliant, is to say who rings up and goes yeah you know you know that poll yeah I don't know, <laughs> uh, and you know why why would you if 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 something is if something is not being charged for it's just out there in the great vast swathes of cyberspace and you listen to it and you don't particularly like it i just go oh well, i won't listen to that again but i wouldn't go and go well i'll give that give that one star do you know what i mean i mean that's i think that's 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 objectively quite a mean thing somebody's got to have really annoyed you i mean i i, I i'm not saying this is you know the the best thing in the world but surely surely it's surely it's enough to just ignore if you don't like it <laughs> uh so so even something like this which you would hope would be kind of risk-free because it's like well there's a big cyberspace in it you just bang it out there and if people like it how flattering and how nice and if they don't they can listen to plenty more there's so many more doctor who podcasts let alone podcast podcasts but uh but uh no uh even this is a minefield uh i you know it's my own fault one should learn to be happy just pottering about in the garden not worrying about what anybody else thinks but um i speak a good game but uh 
I've, I've, I've not I've not learned that lesson so I will so here's some more mud that I'm going to fling at the wall and I hope some of it's st stuck on yours and that you like having brown walls.